0: hello and welcome back to the retail oasis retail wrap-up podcast for 2023 the podcast for retailers you're joined by retail strategist and enthusiast maddie colmar that's me as well as my fellow colleague here at retail oasis emma easton We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we live, work, and of course record this podcast, the Guy Marble people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging, and we extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. Welcome to our latest episode of the Retail Wrap-Up Podcast. Joining us today is a true retail innovator, Melissa Drennan, or as many of you might know her, Mel. From her early days at Debenhams to her impactful roles at David Jones, The Iconic, Catch of the Day, and now at the helm of Release It, Mel's journey through the retail landscape has been nothing short of inspiring. In this episode, we dive into how Mel's experiences across different sectors have shaped her unique perspective on the ever-evolving retail industry. From business transformation in large retail businesses to sustainability-driven missions, Mel has seen it all and today we're lucky enough to hear her insights. We'll also be exploring the exciting world of green friday a movement that's reshaping the way we approach sales events with a focus on sustainability and conscious shopping plus mel has a very big announcement for us and we'll get a sneak peek into how this big announcement aligns with release its mission and what this means for the future of re-commerce so whether you're a seasoned retail enthusiast or just curious about the behind the scenes of disrupting consumerism for the better this episode is a must listen Stay tuned to hear some valuable takeaways, get inspired, and be sure to hit that subscribe button to catch all the remarkable conversations we've had this season. Let's jump into it and uncover the strategies, visions, and stories that shape the retail world. Welcome Mel, and to all of our listeners, let's unwrap the future of retail together. A very big welcome to Melissa Drennan, the now CEO of Release It. Welcome to our podcast, The Retail Wrapper. Aw, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) First of all, huge congratulations on your new role, Obviously, You've been announced now as the CEO of Release It.
1: Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Like, oh, it feels a bit like a dream come true, to be honest. Um, I remember chatting to Steve about a year and a half ago when I was leaving the Iconic and wondering at that time whether there would be any opportunity in Release It, but it was too early. Um, and then when he tapped me on the shoulder again earlier this year about conversations about it, I couldn't believe my luck. So yeah, excited to be on the ground. I've been kind of getting into it a little bit over the last few weeks, but yeah, now I'm in the door and sat at the table, which is exciting. Very. Um, I'd love if we could also kind of delve
0: into that history. You kind yeah, of, of touched on it with catch and and with the iconic. So. You've obviously had a remarkable journey within the retail community as it stands, and your name is well-known in the industry. Like, you have been in the thick of it for a really long time. You've been at Debenhams, David Jones, The Iconic, and of course, Catch the Day, as you mentioned, and now on to release it. Can you share some insights you know, that you've kind of come across during your journey in the retail industry?
1: Yeah, it does feel like a long time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, it's a funny one. If I go back to the very start, I did economics at uni and... Um, interested at university probably my favorite module was social policy so interesting to see a career that took me away from that then hopefully coming somewhat back to something to do with Mm. social community helping the world but I came out of that uni uh, degree and actually almost became an accountant I got onto the grad scheme (laughs) for PWC so that could be quite different to where I'm at now Um, but actually I decided to um, travel so my husband and I met at uni and we decided to take six months off and go traveling and I deferred my PWC grad scheme and um, came back and my, I was desperate to move to London and uh, we were in between the enrollment period so I literally googled at the time analytical numerical creative roles and found a job in distribution for Debenhams and I thought it would be a temporary thing Um, And, yeah, that basically was the start of a career I never left and continued through and through. So probably the biggest insights in my career, for the first 15 years, I went... Someone said to me once, you either go up a ladder. It used to be obviously very, very commonplace. Your success was led by you going up the ranks, Mm. linear. And then someone said to me, but actually you'll learn most when you start to traverse the jungle gym. And I'd say my first 15 years of career were exactly that. They were up the ladder, system merch, junior merch, merch, senior merch, merch planner, and you know, on and on and on as it went. And then, yeah, I got to, I'll obviously talk about the roles later, but I got to a point at the iconic uh, planning director. And I realized that to learn how to run a business, which was always going to be my end dream goal, I needed to actually go sideways. So I did that. So, so fortunate with the iconic that they gave me that. I, was, I spent probably about two years going sideways, did a bit of ops, a bit of marketing, a bit of finance, different regions. I worked one week a month in Asia with the Zalora business when I actually worked for Global Fashion Group. And that was all the experience that I was able to bring back and probably what helped me in this role
0: mm.
1: but yeah no it was um uh, you know the iconic uh, those last couple of years when i was the chief growth and business development officer i think that kind of helped me with the startup concept because it was all about you know innovation new business models starting an idea from scratch um, and it's also when i got my first um real deep dive into sustainability so, that's when I started to lead the sustainability journey for The Iconic. So, I think they're all huge milestones in my career, but I think probably the one I would want people to take away with is that you learn along the way by doing different things. Mm-hmm. And I'm so pleased that I did different roles, different... It didn't need to have the promotion mm. to still grow. So.
0: I mean, I have to ask, you know, working for such a big business like The Iconic, yeah. which... At the time was you know in the press all you know constantly why did you decide to shift out of that role and and move on to catch was there something that was your motivation or is
1: it just time for a change you the iconic is definitely big now right mm. and it, of course it is it's such a well-known name but my journey with the iconic started when it wasn't Like mm. i joined the iconic a year in no one wanted to work with us all the brands we approached basically weren't able to come on board or they'd lose contracts that they had with other players in the market no one believed in e-com still mm. um so the journey was been a long one i was 10 years and 10 years in such a fast-paced business is a, it's it's probably more like 20 or 30 <laughs> um i actually the, why did i leave um i think i realized that i love building a business Uh, And actually, do you know what Catcher's role as well was almost a test for me as well to see that was a business that was already pretty established, but was going through a huge transformation. Mm -hmm. So, again, I wanted to see, do I love building from scratch? Do I love turning around and transforming? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was what really appealed to me about the Catch role. Um, It was a big decision, though, taking that role. Um, I'm based in Sydney. Um, I'm a mum. I've got two young kids, eight and five, and the role was based in Melbourne. So, you know, it took me away from family. Um, But it was a year, and I learned so much over that year. Some really, really um, huge concepts that I think, you know, I'll be able to take into this new role uh, to release it. On how to make some tough decisions as well, mm. and how you can put people first through those tough decisions. So, rounded me out. Yeah, and I guess clearly you have a love for retail. So I do. Through
0: those businesses, it's probably you know been an easy decision to still stay in
1: retail. Right? Yeah. Well, again, it was a different thing, right? Iconic is obviously very much a fashion business, and Catch was a general merchandise business. So. They, they run differently they have the same principles yeah. of course you know it's all about the right stock at the right time in the right place to support the customer demand but you buy them differently you trade them differently so it was a good opportunity to learn something um different
0: sure so i guess working across those various parts of the retail world you know how has this like what influences do you see that are changing the industry? Like you, you must have a pretty broad view of what's happening, having worked across so
1: many businesses. Like, you know, what what is changing the industry? Uh, oh, you know, I think the. It's funny things change so fast, mm. yet things actually can be quite slow at the same time. And I know it sounds a bit counterintuitive, <laughs> but if you think about how much change during COVID in mm. e-commerce, especially right, we all thought it was going to be this huge fast forward in time and we would reset um in the future and we would you know have catapulted ourselves five years forward in the space of a year in regards to online penetration yet we've kind of gone back to the same level of online penetration and you know as retailers we all learned that we all made the same mistakes and I think over the last two years you can see a lot of those businesses with overstocks and and they got themselves in a situation to do that Um, so I think a lot changes and I think it's important to stay at the forefront of that Mm -hmm. Um, businesses can't stay still what they did 10 years ago is not going to work in the next 10 I think clear to see that customers and consumers especially um, the younger generations they look at things very differently Uh, but actually some of the core principles stay the same like I said before you know the fundamentals that I learned as a Twenty-year-old walking into retail about, you know, forecasting and working out demand and making sure your supply is in line and negotiate the right prices and be competitive and those things are the same and they will always be the same. Yeah. But how do you communicate that to the customer? I think is probably very different, and um, the values by which customers will make the choice to shop with you is
2: changing substantially. Yeah, and of course you've you know, you just joined Relisa and their mission really is to disrupt retail. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, good, you know, it's going to be a big challenge, but um, could you share some insights on how your experience at brands like The Iconic and Catch of the Day has prepared you to lead a company that is so much so focused on kind of encouraging consumers to buy less um, and reuse more?
1: I, look, I think it, probably one of the things I really want people to understand is sustainability for me is also a journey mm-hmm. I haven't grown up and studied and been a huge supporter advocate pushing sustainability for the last 20-25 years it's something that I've seen develop and become passionate about as an individual personally um, I can not be proud of the other day my daughter um, who's eight she came home from school and out of the blue like we, we you know we teaching them about recycling we are teaching them how to be more mindful and um, and she's got all these little flap books at home about you know (laughs) the impact on the planet and so on but I also want her to be passionate about it I don't want it to be necessarily that it's something that we're telling them to do Um, and she came home and she said oh guess what I did today I signed up to the green club and I'm like what's the green club (laughs) and at lunchtime it's so cute actually they put these little bibs on and they walk around the playground and they pick up the rubbish that the kids I'll dropped stop. and she just she just did that out of her own <laughs> like and oh my heart broke it was so cute um sorry tangent um like look i i i got such educa- such education at the iconic in those two years when i worked with an incredible set of people that were so passionate about something and they opened my eyes And I think, you know, I am at the start of that journey. So what I really want to bring into my role for Release It and Green Friday um, is helping people not be scared about starting on a more conscious journey. People don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight. And actually, I think a lot of people probably don't do the little things they could do because they're scared that they're not doing everything. So one of the things I really want us to get across is really to try and help people with what are the small things, the small changes. One of the things why I went to catch as well for, obviously it's owned by West Farmers, is um, they um, just did a JV with Circonomy and they're starting to look into refurb and how can you bring those things into circularity. And circularity was one of the things that probably stood out to me most through my learning curve at The Iconic. Um, And, you know, working on some amazing new projects and business models and bringing to life the circular approach. So, you know, how can you resell? How can you rent? And, And I think Release It and Green Friday all will enable us to kind of build something that isn't that. Um, apparent at the moment in Australia, yet you see overseas some incredible examples of what people are doing and you hear the consumers in Australia saying that they are wanting to start that journey. Mm so yeah sorry rant (laughs) but but yeah that's like look I just I want to go on that journey who is it I can coin I think it was Alex Mayer who was the CMO at the Iconic and one of the things that stood with me the most it was a coined it it was it's uh, progress over perfection and I think if we can start to kind of just do little things frequently I think we'll get to a place that we'll actually see quite a seismic shift. Mm.
2: And I think you're right. It's definitely about educating the consumer. Mm. But not
1: preaching. Yeah, I think it's, it's not, important to yeah. not preach to them. It's more about, you know, I did this, what do you think? Mm. And, about yeah. the journey rather
2: than the end point. Like,
1: Absolutely. I quite know what that looks like. No. And I think mm. you're right.
0: As a consumer, I sometimes they feel like not just I'm not doing everything, but also I want to know that the small things that I'm doing are going to do enough. Like yeah. I worry that... You know, Or even question, like, is me using my real, my reusable coffee cup every day making a difference? Yeah. I think you kind of have to not even question it and just make it part of a habit. Yeah. And then other people will start doing yeah. the same. Way.
1: I was saying, I think I said it to you actually, um, <laughs> earlier, it's, um, I remember... Um, going through a phase of deciding you know do I want to be vegetarian or but I grew up in Italy so I think you know <laughs> trying to get salumi out of my life would be a little bit challenging but actually we made a conscious effort at home um, that we would do meat-free Mondays and that actually moved on to become meat-free at home but we'd still go to restaurants and we wouldn't restrict ourselves but I think they're examples of little mm. things like that and and you know, I think if we could make Green Friday, like every Friday, people can do something and share it with the community about what they're
2: doing. What that, what is that little something that they've adopted for that Friday? Yeah. You could inspire. It's people. funny that you mentioned Green and um, Meat Free Mondays because that is exactly what I've been thinking about throughout this whole conversation. And it is such a good example of how yeah. they brought something to the masses, isn't it? And yeah, it's so accessible. Many, it's yeah. not scary, right? It yeah. it does it
1: feels like I do you know what? I, I actually think i could do that without mm-hmm. but if you said some next week you're going to
2: become vegetarian full time yeah it, that's more daunting. daunting yeah and you have just mentioned green friday yes um so for the listeners green friday actually sits under the release umbrella and um, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what green friday is and what they do
1: Yeah, so Green Friday um, started off as a bit of a trial in 2021 um, in the kind of big peak selling period uh, around sort of October, November, you know, obviously huge sales for all retailers go through at that period of time. And it felt like um, there wasn't really anything out there that could help the consumer that is more sustainably focused get advice on where to buy from. So it became really the opportunity for um, like-minded retailers, brands, to be on one platform talking to a like-minded community, obviously still realizing that sales and commerciality are key drivers for all these businesses without making a sale these businesses aren't going to be around but there are obviously more conscious choices you can make so it was really the star of trying to help guide people in being uh, discovering brands that they maybe didn't know about prior um that if they were looking to buy for gifts and into that kind of silly season and um, they could go through that so it's evolving from that you know that was the start we're kind of testing the waters i kind of gave it a little bit away before about how cool would it be for green friday wasn't one event or two events a year and it actually became every friday there was something so they're the kind of things i'm looking into um, mm-hmm. to see what we can do um, but really, we'll touch upon that education in a fun way yeah. um, and a not preachy way and, um, and then doing a lot of kind of, you know, meet the brands and introducing um, people to people that are trying to make a difference. Yeah, because
0: we're pretty lucky in Australia. We do have a wide variety of brands with purpose. There are, you, you know, yeah. And I, But I think you're right. To have it in one place where it's accessible for everybody and where you might actually happen to get a deal yeah. is pretty wonderful. But just to have a place that's kind of like your, I don't know, your Bible, your binder, yeah. you know, like a, one place where you know you can shop where these people mm. are ethical or
1: are just taking a step in the right direction it's a beautiful place and too. especially for new brands mm. entering the market well yes absolutely new brands absolutely because i think we're going to see a huge influx of yeah. people who are going to be launching conscious brands um so i think that's fantastic but even beyond that like you know you need to renew your car insurance who out there is the best from a sustainability perspective that you would that are doing things that maybe you never hear about mm-hmm. um that you are wanting to make choices better choices even in those kind of areas so it doesn't have to just physic be physical products that we buy ideally you know we start talking about services and different things like that but i yeah ideally it becomes the place that people can go to for information for discovery and for you know buying and providing themselves with
2: services and I know you've touched on education quite a bit but can you share any specific strategies that you're employing and to encourage both brands and consumers to just be more mindful when shopping during sale
1: yeah look I think think, um, it's interesting because education at the moment or certainly historically has probably been done in a very difficult to understand way I even know like you know and there were fantastic reports brilliant reports that we did at the iconic but there were 36 page written <laughs> books about it um and we know people don't digest that and it's complicated it's talking about science-based targets and calculating this and and all those things what I would love to try and find through education is how can you really bring it to snippets I absolutely love them. I don't know, I'm mentioning a lot of brands here, but we yeah. probably shouldn't. <laughs> but I um, obviously, Women's World Cup, how amazing yes. is that? I've got an eight and five-year-old. They both play soccer. My husband's obsessed with soccer. We're English, obviously, as so you can probably hear. So football. <laughs> and, um, and they actually did this amazing thing on their Optus um, uh, sports app where you could watch 90 minutes, 45 minutes. You could watch 20 minutes, nine minutes, or three minutes.
2: Brilliant.
1: Brilliant and phenomenal concept, right? Like, think about it in in regards to digesting just information. Obviously, that's a, a game, but imagine you've got a thirty-five page report. You know what? Here it is. You can read it in full, or you can you read, depending on your time constraints, snippets of the most critical points, all the way down to like the six bullet points that are yes. most important to take away. Mm. So, I'm thinking about education in that way, and also education in non-written form, because again young generations out there are not necessarily digesting information that way so you know how can we use video content how can we use different social platforms um and bring a little bit of fun mm. to it um so that's the intent i would say from an education perspective and beyond obviously the purchase of products you know the concept of release it overall is also circularity mm. so you know and one of the things i think you know i heard a while back was that it's not about the ownership anymore, it's about the experience that something brings to you. I don't want to tell people they shouldn't buy something because then you're depriving them of an experience that they would want to get from that thing. But to experience something, you don't have to necessarily own it. So how can you you know, rent it from someone else have it donated to you through something, or you know, you buy it, but then you resell it so someone else can get that product and it extend its life. So it's about making sure that people don't lose out on the joy and the experience of having something new in their life without it necessarily having to be new.
0: Speaking of peer-to-peer rental, I believe you have a very big
1: announcement. Would you like to go ahead? Drop <laughs> <laughs> No, look, I think. Um, Probably before I say the announcement, one of the things that um, I think is so phenomenal in the industry and in Australia overall is... Businesses are helping each other when it comes to sustainability. We're really hoping that Release It starts to become a bit of a family of businesses that are cool aligned, all aligned with a goal. Mm. So we have just added a new family member to release it, and it's Kindershare. Mm-hmm. And um, I couldn't be more excited. Vinui, uh, the founder of Kindershare, is coming on board helping us out, and um it's gonna really give us a huge opportunity to dig deep and understand a specific part of that rental world. Babies, my goodness, I think, you know, I've, I've, ha- I've had two and they grow out of stuff faster than you can sneeze and you know like you invest as a first time mum in all these things that either they don't like because they just don't like them or they grow out of them within two seconds I'm pretty tall so my girls are also pretty tall I think 98th percentile (laughs) so I think the bassinet as an example they were out of within like two months so why don't we look at ways to do things differently. There are things that we want to own, but there are things that we can rent. Um, and you know, even that business model has the opportunity to go beyond just rental. So couldn't be happier to have um, Venui join us, uh, Kindershare be part of the business, get really close to consumers and customers and chat to some mums and, and really understand how we can make their life easier. So, yeah, so that's another one that's going to join the family. <laughs> Very exciting. You kind of touched on it, you know, now having a greater, or you will
0: end up having a greater understanding of, like, those consumers. Absolutely. But what other opportunities do you foresee by incorporating Kindershare's platform into Release It?
1: Look, I think it's the Release It model is a, a brilliant one in regards to the fact that it's a marketplace yeah. for lots of different rental businesses. But you're not as close to the Consumer on a day-to-day basis, whereas by you know starting with Kindershare, um, understanding that consumer, testing, learning some aspects, um, maybe bringing in some partnerships, trying to really build out that business, it will then give us a really fantastic blueprint on how to really nail the vertical within the rental business that we can then look to emulate in other parts. So you know, start off with Kindershare babies. As a vertical, we can move into sports beyond that. We can move into other categories. Mm -hmm. But I think the key purpose for us was we want to make sure we do it right. We do the right thing for the customers. And I think for that, we need to go deep Mm -hmm. and get it really, really um, understood. And then we can go wide again. Yeah, and it's a great
0: opportunity, right, for people to get involved. Like I think myself, I'm also a mother
1: too. My garage is full
0: to the brim with stuff that my children no longer use. I find it really tedious and also just I don't enjoy the process of selling things on Facebook. So the idea Mm. of renting it to another family who maybe couldn't afford it or just recognise that it's got a timestamp. Yeah. Um, And also for me, for a side hustle is pretty sweet. Yeah. Like I'm excited to see how this really takes off because I think with release it, you know. Put, or you know, taking bringing this company underneath
1: the umbrella will mean it'll get more awareness, and I'm excited to see what will happen. Absolutely, and, uh, and I think you're spot on with the side hustle thing. You know, I think all of us are probably feeling the pinch at the moment yeah. with everything going on. So, you know, if we can build something that enables people easily to be able to generate a little bit of extra income on stuff that is gathering dust in their garage, then why not? If it helps the family yeah. out. I think it'd be a great idea. There's some really amazing businesses overseas that are doing that really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, really helping people. Got and there's good benchmarks to have a look at.
2: <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, there it is. <laughs> it's become so popular in like women's fashion, it just makes so much even oh, more sense. For absolutely. A baby, a baby, Do you it? buy
1: a dress for an event and then, you know, It's just sitting there, and you're not going to wear it for necessarily the following week, but someone else could and look amazing. And selling it once, you only make that value back, right? But
0: renting, you have like the you know the opportunity to make a lot more money Mm -hmm. off of a dress that you wore once. Yeah, and resale.
1: I think for me, there's such a connection with rent and resale. Like you know, there's a period of time where maybe you are using it still, but you're just not using it as much as you could and it's not getting its full utilization then rent it and then when you no longer need to use it then you can resell it yeah. and someone else can take it on so yeah lots of opportunities with bringing that business in and i think you know even connecting Kindershare share release it to green friday like i said before you know buying better doing better doesn't necessarily mean you're buying a product all the time maybe rent it Mm-hmm. and people want options of how to do that so bring that into green friday as well
2: yeah super it. exciting yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you've already touched on how different brands and retailers have kind of been working together and support, supporting each other in their yeah. kind of sustainability journeys um, and i'm sure you've seen that a lot across retail in your past Um, how do you aim to build connections with brands that share release its um, eco-friendly goals and then also to make Green Friday's efforts even more impactful?
1: Yeah I think um, not to repeat myself but I think the same as I mentioned before historically you wouldn't get a lot of brands supporting each other when you're talking about business plans or Mm -hmm. marketing plans or you know you're talking about promotional activity they're all kind of things that people kept behind closed doors and didn't want to share because it's super valuable um yeah i don't know what it is and it's amazing that it's mm-hmm. like this and um, people honestly don't say no if you're asking for advice on how to make your business better from a sustainability perspective so i think you know it's gonna i'm gonna spend a lot of time talking to people meeting people i would love just to understand people's journeys how they've got there. Um, and hopefully do the same and give people some guidance on things that they're wanting to do. Um, And then, yeah, there's lots of work as well being done by, you know, the ARA and the Australian Fashion Council and government bodies. And, you know, there is lots of opportunity also to partner and join with some of these movements that are taking place from a regulatory perspective. And I think if you can be part of the design process there... Um, and, you know, instill education in that sense. Um, you know, I know that C are introducing some new criteria, for example, to try and assess greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Like if you can help brands who that might seem extremely overwhelming. I actually read, sorry to go on a tangent, I read an article um, the other day on Rag Trader that really kind of shocked me, but in a good way as well. But obviously greenwashing is a term, that we've heard for a long time, right? Mm. And I think to a certain extent, it's actually become a really scary turn. Um, and actually what Rag Trader were talking about was that we've actually almost um, pivoted and it's gone from greenwashing to green hushing where people are actually not wanting to make claims of the progress that they're making because they're too scared about whether they're going to be criticised because we've entered a world of criticism at the moment Mm. um, being criticised that they're not necessarily doing everything right Mm. uh, that they're now not saying anything at all so yeah, green hushing was the first time I heard about that one
2: yeah
1: but yeah,
2: I mean it makes sense because there's so many retailers that have been so uh, criticised and scrutinised for what they've done Sometimes, maybe it's, it kind of makes sense, but another time, other times, it's like we like said, like people, everyone's on a journey, yeah. And you've got to start somewhere, and mm. you shouldn't be scrutinized for like trying, you know. And no, and exactly.
1: Start. And I think, as long as people are authentic, people yeah. are honest and open, mm. I think they're the most like they for me, they're the most critical values, anyway, yeah. as a person, but as a business, I would want to do the same. But, um, I think, as long as people are honest with their customers, consumers, and you know, the other people that they're working with, that they are on the journey, Mm perfection is really hard to achieve, no one really gets there. Um, I think
2: it goes back to their brand purpose as well, like if their brand purpose is kind of relating to sustainability and, you know, that's kind of the Mm -hmm. angle that they've got, then it's fine to start somewhere.
1: Exactly, as long as we start. Can you imagine if everyone was too scared to start,
2: so no one started, you wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. So... (laughs) Um, So as the incoming CEO of Release It, do you have any key milestones or initiatives that you're particularly excited to lead and accomplish in the coming years? Oh, I think... um...
1: Like, obviously, the Kindershare integration for me is critical, number one. -hmm. Um, So I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, Green Friday is going to have another event um, coming up. So the 27th of October, we're going to be launching our Green Friday event. So lots of focus on trying to bring brands on board, but also expanding the portfolio there. Like I mentioned before, you know, it's not just about retailers. You know, we want to basically give people... um, Insights and opportunities to touch in on other parts of their business. So, try and basically be green overall rather than just buy green. Mm. Um, So, those are probably my two biggest milestones over the next couple of months. Um, And then, look, next year I think it's going to be really focusing on how can I bring together re commerce overall and how can I start to maybe link some of the different circular methods into. Platforms or into integrations that enable for even more convenience mm. to customers.
0: Um, so our last question is one that we've been asking everybody all season. It's a big one. So. Okay. <laughs> Take your time. Mm-hmm. Um, we're asking everybody if you could look into the magical crystal ball and somehow predict the
1: future of retail. <laughs> what would you like it to look like or what do you think is coming? What do I think it's coming? Yeah. Okay. Um, look, I think coming from an e-commerce perspective, I would put my money down the e-commerce is going to continue to grow. It's going to get even bigger. We know the rest of the world is so further advanced Mm -hmm. than we are from a penetration perspective anyway. So absolutely, I think online is going to grow. But actually, I think the biggest focus and where success will come is the businesses that really nail Omni. Mm -hmm. And I know that's something we've been talking about for a while. It's not new news. But I think if you can start to connect online with offline in really innovative technology driven ways um, that drive on a focus of convenience i think that's where you're gonna see mm-hmm. some amazing things i know it's old school it's probably not that new technology but around the corner from where i live in Cronulla, um, they've just opened a Woolies direct boot like as an example and the, the Woolies there is doing quite a lot and they've just done the scan and go so I think it's all about convenience so connecting your online purchase to your pickup or even can you imagine the day that we can have something delivered to your GPS location so you might be in a bar whatever and you just want to have something delivered to you and it's, it just comes to you so that's one angle. Um, I've obviously been touching with my role at the Iconic in business development and, you know, you guys even from a retail oasis, we've all been kind of teetering on what's going to happen with the metaverse, what's going to happen with AR and, and AI. Um, so I think there's definitely going to be something big, I would say, over the next five to ten years if they get their coding and stuff yeah. right. But going back to your question about do I want it, it's a hard one. It's a really hard one. What I do love the idea of, I used to always go shopping with my mum. Like, it was always our thing. Like, we would be out for an entire day together on a Saturday and we'd go Oxford Street in London or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's in the UK and I'm in Australia. So i you know, I've seen a few things from the metaverse where there's concepts about being able to enter a virtual world with my mum and we could have that day again together and look Mm -hmm. around the shop so is it going to happen in five to ten years I don't know Um, but I do think that there could be a cool angle if they were to get that right Mm. Um, and then I think you know obviously we've talked about sustainability throughout but I think you know from a third angle I think it's going to become more and more and more critical Um, I think it will be pushed not only from customers' demand, because we know it's shifting at a rapid rate in that respect, but I actually think that regulation and government and things are going to change from a business perspective that will mean that the landscape from a sustainability CSR and, you know, making sure that we're doing things circular and we're not adding waste, I think is going to become even more mainstream. I think it will become mainstream whereas it's not quite there yet. Well,
0: that's all we have time for today. We thoroughly hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to bring you another great guest next time. If you'd like to support the Retail Wrap-Up Podcast, you know where to find us on Instagram, at Retail Oasis, on LinkedIn, and make sure to subscribe to receive notification when we drop a new episode. We'd love to hear from you, our loyal listeners, by way of a review or drop us a guest suggestion via one of our social media channels. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to bringing you more retail expertise next episode. Bye.